So my friends, today in our second reading, um, continuing our reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, we have the very famous hymn to love. Most people know, if you've been to a Catholic wedding, 90% chance you heard this is the second reading, right? This is, everyone has this at weddings. The great hymn to love in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, And it's important to properly understand what this great, beautiful section of the letter to the Corinthians is. Paul, previously, in the 12th chapter of the letter to the Corinthians, which we read part of last week, um, the longer form has a lot of different things in it, the 12th chapter, Paul's talking about the different spiritual gifts, right? We got prophecy, we have speaking in tongues, we have interpretation of tongues, we have these different charismatic gifts that are marking the early Christian community, and now in the 13th chapter, you know, Paul says, yes, all of that is good, but if it's not founded on love, on charity, then it is useless. And so that's where he begins. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but don't have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. If I prophesy, we got prophets in our midst, okay, but you don't have love? Well then, you are, it just, you're, you're, you're useless. If you have faith to move mountains, you can move a mountain. That's incredible. It's not found on the love of God. I am nothing. Nothing at all. And this is the important thing with this hymn to love. You know, we hear this in, again, it's read at weddings. It's a very romantic reading. The love that Paul is primarily talking about here is, first and foremost, love of God. Paul is primarily talking here about love of God. To love God comes first. We should love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, everything we have. Charity. This is another way to translate love in the gospel. Charity is one of the three theological virtues, right? And we have that because Paul says, so faith, hope, and love, charity, remain the theological virtues. But the greatest of these is love. The love of God is what endures forever, for all of eternity. Think about this. The one thing that we have right now that will endure for all of eternity is our love of God. That's it. That's the only thing we get to take with us when we go. That's the only thing. Even our faith. I have tremendous faith. Well, guess what? When you see God face to face, you don't need faith anymore, right? I have hope. The other theological virtue, I have hope. Well, when God fulfills his promises, you don't have hope anymore because it's happened. But love, the love of God, the love of God motivates all things, everything. Everything we do should be motivated by our love for Almighty God. This is what makes us holy, by the way. The only thing that makes us holy is our love of God. God's love in us, God's life in us is the source of all holiness. It's not about how many hours we spend praying. Oh, if you spend 10 hours praying a week, you are going to be holy. Well, maybe you'll have more love if you spend 10 hours talking to God a week. But it's not the time that makes you holy. It's the love. Love makes us holy. The love of God. And we each need it. We each need this love of God. This needs to be the distinctive mark of Christians. I love Almighty God. I love God incarnate, Jesus Christ. I've given him my entire life. But even, and even Paul says there, look, if you give away everything you own 
hand over your body so that you may boast, and you do it without love, you gain nothing at all. We need love. The love of God is what gives life. It gives life to everything we do. Everything we do. Our worship is transformed based upon our holiness, our love. Do we love God? Is this just coming to Mass every weekend? Is it a social activity? Is it just habit? Or is it motivated by the love of God? When it is, it changes everything. I think a lot of times when I talk to people who, well, I don't get anything out of Mass. I don't like Mass. Mass is boring. Like, okay, well then let's start working on the love of God, right? Fall in love with God. Then you'll want to spend time with Him. Then we'll want to be with Him. Then we'll want to give Him what's His due in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. We need to grow in love of God always. And then, when we love God, our relationship with others is marked by distinctive um, points. Being patient and kind and not jealous, not pompous, not inflated, not rude, not seeking our own interests. I mean, this is, this is just like a checklist for what Christians should be like. When you meet a Christian, and you know what? I remember when I was, um, when I was in high school, I think my, my pastor gave a homily about this. And he said, because you know what you can do here? You can point and you can say, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus isn't jealous. He's not pompous. He doesn't seek his own interests. He's not quick-tempered. He doesn't brood over injury. He doesn't rejoice over wrongdoing. We do these things in imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we follow our Lord. Jesus lived all of these, and we have to live them. A particular point now, wading into this territory, I feel like I may be imitating Jesus a little too much and saying something that may be controversial, but uh, don't throw me off the hill on which our our town is built. Um, Love does not rejoice over wrongdoing. You know, I was just talking to a friend about this last night, uh, driving home from the event I was at. We live in a society that rejoices over wrongdoing. We live in a society that, that loves to just point out the errors and the faults and the failings of other people and to bring it right into the news, to point out how bad this person, and any person that we can character assassinate in the news, I mean, that just, that, that makes for good TV. That makes for uh, a news cycle. As Christians, we should be totally separated from that. As Christians, we don't rejoice in the wrongdoing of others. If someone that I disagree with politically, it comes out they've done something wrong, we shouldn't rejoice in that. If somebody who's personally treated me poorly comes out they've done something wrong, we shouldn't rejoice in that. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Unfortunately, we live in a society with social media and a 24-hour news cycle that does. And so we as Christians need to be different. We need to be so far apart from that. When someone has done something wrong, we pray for them. We don't rejoice over it. We don't say, ha, proved you wrong. No, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to pray for them. I hope they find the mercy of God. I hope that they're able to pick up the pieces of what was their career or their life. We're not going to rejoice in it. Rather, this is something that specifically marks our era. And I think that this is something as Christians we have to be part of. We have to be above 
rejoicing in the wrongdoing of others. The early Christians lived different. They lived differently. They lived this stuff, and because of their example and their model, they converted the entire world. It's incredible. We need to do that. We need to live differently. We need to be patient, kind, not jealous or pompous or rude, not being quick-tempered, not rejoicing over wrongdoing. We need to believe all things, hope in all things, bear all things, endure all things. Our love needs to never fail. My friends, the great hymn to love, it sets us firmly in our relationship with Almighty God. And so maybe just this week or later today, take a few moments in Bibles and home, you know, read over this again and just see it as the real, this is the roadmap. It's the roadmap to true and authentic holiness. And so if we follow this map, then we will be great saints. And that love which we invest in in this life, that endures for all of eternity.